I mean, can you really still call it a date if there's no steak? Did you really go through a breakup if you didn't have ice cream made from cream? And who would be so insane as to say no to a slice of delectable classic New York cheesecake and then decide it's a good idea to make cheese from soaked cashews? Vegans. Hello, fellow peacemakers. Welcome to Make Peace Not Beef, a fun and informative podcast about making peace with yourself and the world. I'm your host, Lily, and we'll explore everything from climate change to plant-based to self-development and more. Follow me on my YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at MakePeaceNotBeef for episode highlights, bonus content, and giveaways. All right, let's start the episode. Every once in a while, when I talk to my grandpa on the phone, he always asks me, Are you still vegan? And I respond with, Yes, grandpa. It's not a phase. And then he asks, so you don't eat meat at all? And I'm like, nope. Then he goes, well, why can't you just have a little bit of meat once in a while? What's so bad about that? Don't be so extreme about it. Your body still needs meat for all the nutrients that you can't get from vegetables, like iron, B12, and creatine. You should still eat meat sometimes. After all, humans are a part of the food chain and our ancestors ate meat. It's natural for us to eat meat. Plus, you claim you care so much about animal rights, but what about human rights? What about the countless humans that are abused and persecuted in this world? Do you not care about them? And it does sound like he's raising very valid points, right? So in my head, I started thinking, should I spend the next 10 minutes debating against my grandpa, who's a university professor, explaining to him why I am vegan in Chinese? (laughs) Or should I just concede and say, yes, grandpa, I will eat meat. Hello fellow peacemakers, welcome back to my YouTube channel, Make Peace Not Beef. It's your host, Lily. It's been a minute since I've done a video episode because, let's be real, I'm not the biggest fan of seeing my face on YouTube. (laughs) Both you and I know I'm not the best looking person. Jessica Alba still is. But for this episode, I wanted to have a face-to-face conversation with you because the question of whether or not veganism is too extreme or unnatural gets raised a lot. And rightfully so. It's a legitimate question that's worth examining. Skepticism and healthy debates are an essential part of critical thinking, and I think I'm a fairly rational thinker, so I do ponder on these issues a lot when I am by myself. So let's dive into it. First of all, veganism is certainly an aberration from the norm and a departure from mainstream culture. The vast majority of countries in the world consume meat and dairy. It's a fact, right? I mean, there's hamburgers, pork dumplings, uh, lamb kebabs, tuna sushi, shrimp linguine, foie gras, cheesecake, ice cream, you name it. It's entrenched in every culture. And not just food culture, but like culture culture. I mean, can you really still call it a date if there's no steak? Did you really go through a breakup if you didn't have ice cream made from cream? And who would be so insane as to say no to a slice of delectable, classic New York cheesecake and then decide it's a good idea to make cheese from soaked cashews? (laughs) Vegans, right? Such masochists. Why would vegans put themselves through all this crap when they can enjoy life like a normal person? So that must make veganism an extreme and unnecessarily strict diet and lifestyle. Okay, let's propose that is the case, that veganism is extreme. 
Then to make that proposition, we must then assess on the comparative the relative extremity of a non-vegan diet, aka a regular diet. How extreme can a regular diet possibly be, you ask? Let's say the typical North American diet. Bacon and eggs for breakfast, ham and cheese sandwich for lunch, chicken and rice for dinner. Sounds pretty reasonable, right? There's nothing extreme at all about it. But there's a term in the egg industry called chick calling, which is the common practice of shredding baby male chicks in a grinder seconds after they're hatched because male chicks can't lay eggs and hence are a useless byproduct of the egg industry. Worldwide, we kill 7 billion male chicks every year. A cow only produces milk after she's pregnant, much like a human mother. So we rape 270 million dairy cows once a year to keep them pregnant using what's called a rape rack. Yes, you heard me correctly, that is the industry term. <laughs> Whereby the dairy farmer jams one hand into the cow's rectum to restrain her and forcibly stick a cold metal gun up her vagina with the other hand to locate her uterus and complete the insemination. We do this so cows can give birth to calves, and we then separate every baby calf from its mother upon birth so we can take the milk that's intended for her young and sell it to supermarkets so humans can have it with their cereal in the morning. And when the dairy cow can no longer give birth, she is then slaughtered and becomes a burger. So her entire life is a never-ending cycle of being raped, kept pregnant in captivity, giving birth, being milked, rinse and repeat. Thanksgivings and Christmas are essential holidays that bring families joy. And turkey is a staple at both. Turkeys are extremely intelligent and sensitive creatures whose natural lifespan is 10 years. Yet they spend five painful months in a slaughterhouse, mutilated and abused, kicked, stomped on and thrown around, used as punching bags before their throats are slit, they're boiled alive and they end up on the dinner plate. They're genetically modified to grow twice as large and twice as fast, so much so that they can no longer support their own weight and suffer from leg and joint pain, organ failures, and heart attacks. The Amazon forest now emits more carbon than it absorbs. It is on fire. Thick billows of smoke can be seen from space. And deforestation is accelerating. But does anyone pause to ask why? Cattle farming is the leading cause of deforestation in the Amazon, responsible for 80% of the deforestation in the area. Brazilian cattle ranchers set forests ablaze to clear the land for pasture expansion and cattle production to meet the world's soaring appetite for beef. And the price we pay is in the form of CO2 and gargantuan amounts of methane released by the cows, which is a much more potent greenhouse gas than CO2, speeding up climate change, extreme weathers, and melting of the ice caps. Globally, we breed and slaughter roughly 80 billion land animals for food every year. That is 10 times the human population. The vast majority of these animals are sentient beings whose intelligence rivals that of the dogs and cats we love but spend their entire stressful yet fleeting lives being locked up in a metal cage, constantly fed antibiotics to keep them from getting sick from their own feces, or they're crammed in a filthy, disease-ridden animal factory before they're killed. The way in which these animals are enslaved, mutilated, physically and emotionally abused, leading up to the point when they're slaughtered and probably consumed in a matter of a few minutes, is comparable to the Holocaust and nothing short of extreme. Not to mention the devastating environmental impact of animal agriculture on the planet. But what about human rights? 
Vegans care so much about these animals and the environment, but what about all the humans who are suffering in this world? Do their lives not matter? And do vegans not care about them? My grandpa asked me this question, so let me address it by examining the lives of the humans who work at slaughterhouses. Let's examine the psychological effect of killing thousands of animals every day on slaughterhouse workers. Not only do slaughterhouse workers experience much higher cases of PTSD, domestic violence, drug use, and alcoholism to numb the pain, but also suicide. It takes a serious emotional toll on the slaughterhouse workers to relive the nightmare on a daily basis. And sometimes the burden just becomes too heavy to bear. But Lily, what about all the other innocent people in the world who are being abused? All the cases of female genital mutilation and child marriage and human trafficking and political imprisonment and slavery and persecution. Do you not care about them? Well, I do care about human rights, very much so. And I agree that we live in an imperfect world and that we all need to do better on all fronts. And I am extremely grateful for all the human rights activists out there that are advocating for a more just and peaceful society. But human rights abuse does not right the wrong of animal abuse and not to mention all the additional human rights abuse and devastating negative environmental impact that comes with animal abuse. Now, while a regular diet may not look extreme when it's nicely presented on your dinner plate, if you trace back to where and how the bacon and eggs and cheese and ham and chicken are sourced, then you will soon be confronted with a barbaric reality that so many of us are not only sheltered from, but turn a blind eye toward. Now, some people argue that vegans are radicals. I guess you could say that veganism is a form of radicalism. Not gonna deny that, because veganism does go against the grain and attempts to uproot our food system, which in turn has a cascading effect on our global economic and legal system. But is radical social change always a bad thing? Let's think critically for a second. Humans are creatures of habit. It's natural and effortless for us to hold on to things we are accustomed to. Inertia, first law of physics, right? But are customs and traditions always right? Does the fact that we've always done things a certain way justify us to keep doing it, even if there's sufficient evidence elucidating that it causes more harm than good, or that there is potentially a better and equally viable alternative? Or should we continuously evaluate our existing customs and traditions in a critical manner to keep pace with our ever-evolving society? If any aberration from the norm is considered extreme, then the idea of universal suffrage, or that women and minorities could vote, was an extreme idea just a hundred years ago in the United States. Most countries granted women the right to vote after 1900, even though nowadays, women in most developed countries don't even blink or question their right to vote at the voting station because it's so normalized. But remember that some of the rights you emphatically enjoy today, some extreme radical had to challenge the status quo and fight to garner that a century ago. And in parts of the world such as Pakistan and Qatar, women still don't have the de facto right to vote due to socio-political barriers. Now, in the case of Saudi Arabia, women weren't allowed to vote until 2015, and they weren't allowed to drive until 2018, which is very recent. Aside from voting rights, slavery was also once upon a time the norm in America, and it still is in many parts of the world. In countries like India, China, North Korea, Nigeria, and the Congo. Now, in the case of the US, 
abolitionists like Frederick Douglass and John Brown and eventually Abraham Lincoln, who are heralded as the heroes of American history today, were once upon a time radicals for opposing slavery. Same thing with gay rights and homosexuality, which was once viewed as sacrilegious. Now, homosexuality was illegal in the UK until 1967. There's a famous story. The famous computer scientist Alan Turing, who cracked the German's Enigma code during World War II, who consequently saved millions of lives, was punished for his homosexuality. He was charged with gross indecency and was chemically castrated. And chemical castration for homosexuals was very common at the time in the UK because homosexuality was considered a form of mental illness that had to be treated. Whereas today, same-sex marriage is legal in the UK. So my point here is that extremism and radicalism is relative, temporal, and depends on your frame of reference in history. We, as a society, have retired and outlawed countless barbaric practices that were once considered normal and held onto as cherished beliefs. What's deemed normal today might have once been heretic or extreme just a few decades ago. And what's considered extreme today might be the norm tomorrow. I mean, there's a reason why laws are constantly amended and new laws and policies are introduced. Because society is changing. Just 20 years ago, there were scarcely any laws and regulations surrounding data privacy, ethical AI development, emissions, and now look, the frontier of tech is expanding so fast that policymakers are struggling to keep pace. So if tech and energy policy are updating, why has our agriculture and food policy largely stayed constant despite the massive environmental and ethical challenges we are now confronted with as a species? So bear that in mind when looking at veganism, which you could consider a form of radicalism. Except in this case, I argue that this form of radicalism isn't a negative thing to be feared. And that's the point I want to emphasize today, which is that not all radical social changes are bad. Veganism may not be the perfect solution, but it fundamentally advocates for a society that is just, ethical, and sustainable by critically examining our diet and its environmental and ethical impact, and encourages us to opt for choices that optimize long-term gains for our civilization and the broader ecosystem whose health our vitality depends on. Lest we forget, humans are part of the natural order. Next, let's quickly address whether or not veganism is unnatural, unhealthy, and will lead to malnutrition, since this also seems to be another point of contention between vegans and non-vegans. It's true that our ancestors have eaten meat for millions of years, but also not the same kind of meat that we eat nowadays, which is mostly raised in filthy and cramped animal factories, genetically modified to boost the yield, they're fed soy and corn instead of grass, and they're injected with a ton of steroids and antibiotics to prevent them from getting sick. So I'd say the nutritional value of the meat you get from your local grocer is significantly reduced. Not only so, if you look at human nutrition from a scientific point of view, the body doesn't care if you get proteins from animal sources or plant sources. It breaks it down into amino acids all the same. And I'm not gonna list plant sources of protein here. There's plenty of websites for that. Now, it is true that it is harder to maintain balanced nutrition on a vegan diet and requires more vigilance because, you know, meat is naturally more nutrient dense. However, 
With proper planning and basic supplementation, this can be easily achieved with a vegan diet. It's all about habit forming. And for people who say supplements are too expensive and not affordable, fact check here. Even the most expensive iron supplement that will last you a year costs about $70, which is equivalent to the cost of just four steak dinners. Plus, there are plenty of people who eat unhealthy junk food all day, consisting of chicken nuggets or beef burgers and milkshakes, and they still suffer from malnutrition. So the key distinction here between a healthy and unhealthy diet has less to do with the inclusion of meat and dairy, and more to do with the quality of food and nutritional balance. Having said all that, I do want to point out one thing, which may be the only extreme thing that I've noticed about some members of the vegan community, which is virtual signaling and shaming everyone who is not a vegan. As a vegan, I encourage people to adopt a vegan diet, obviously if they feel like it makes sense to them, or try out vegetarianism, or reduce their meat and dairy consumption, whatever extent they feel comfortable. I will always applaud them for their effort. But after thinking about it for a while, I decided I will never shame anyone who doesn't choose to be vegan and call them inhumane murderers. And I'll tell you why. Because I am not a perfect human myself, not just when it comes to veganism, but also when it comes to other aspects of life as well. If I start enforcing that level of stringency of veganism on everyone else and call them out every time they eat steak or ice cream, then that other person can equally call me out every time I use single-use plastic or take an Uber or Lyft to get to somewhere that's not accessible by transit or even when I buy a new iPhone. Because technically by buying a new iPhone, I am indirectly perpetuating human rights abuse by enslaving five-year-old Congolese children working in cobalt mines who are paid minimum wage. And this thing never ends, right? And look, I'm not proud of any of these doings. And nowadays, I do my best to minimize my plastic use and buy secondhand and shop ethically. And look, if there were better alternatives, I would have taken them. But the truth is, sometimes there aren't any. My point here is that the world is not perfect. And I am not perfect. And I am learning. And therefore, I don't have the right to accuse anyone else who isn't perfect. And plus, at the end of the day, everyone cares about different things, right? Some people care about animals, some people care about the environment, some people care about human rights, and some people care about universal healthcare, and other people just want to get by and make ends meet. I guess I realized over time that the most important thing is that we all do our best to do what's right and to be a good human to the best of our knowledge and our abilities, given each of our circumstances. But that is all that we can do, which is having that personal accountability for our actions and hope that it will induce a ripple effect and inspire the ones around us to do the same. And with that, I'd like to conclude this episode. Is veganism too extreme? That's a question you have to answer for yourself. But I hope that I have at least given you sufficient insight and comparisons to rationalize the decision to go vegan relative to its alternatives. And no matter what your stance on veganism is, I hope you can at least have an open mind when it comes to veganism and hear what each vegan has to say. And no, we don't all think the same. After all, open-mindedness is the antidote to extremism, right? All right, that's a wrap. I hope you liked today's episode and found it helpful. Remember, you can watch the video version of this episode on my YouTube channel, Make Peace Not Beef. 
please don't forget to subscribe and rate for more exciting content down the road. Your support is my creative juice. If you have any questions or comments, please head over to my social media on Twitter, Instagram at MakePeaceNotBeef, or shoot me an email at lily at MakePeaceNotBeef.com. That's L-I-L-L-Y. Feel free to check out my website, MakePeaceNotBeef.com, for more information. Alrighty, peacemakers, I'll see you in the next episode.